you would this morning turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 as we continue we kind of set the stage uh, for this study last week in our short time uh, after communion and now uh, the matters of the heart those things which are important to us those things which uh, should be the, the the real issues in our lives and Paul now is going to use this, this moment in time to speak to us, the Holy Spirit speaking, God uh, putting truth into our lives. Because ultimately, you can do really wonderful things for the wrong reason. And you can do really not such great things, and God can still actually get the glory out of it. It depends on where your heart's at. It's a matter of heart. You know, sometimes my implementation of those things that God wants me to do isn't quite perfect, but I know that because my heart's right with the Lord, that he honors it and he still brings forth fruit. And there have been times when I've engaged in things that, you know, on the outside look pretty holy and wonderful, and yet they haven't been very fruitful because my heart wasn't right before the Lord. And so Paul now is going to give us a glimpse uh, into his own little prison time. And as we begin this study this morning... Every one of us in here, you you see, we don't think about it in in Roman terms. We think about it in, in, in the year 2015, and we think about it in our modern terms. But every one of us has some personal prisons. There are things that have locked us up. There are things that we're chained to. There are things in our lives that we could honestly say, uh, they're not things that we planned, and yet... The Lord wants to use them. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul in a, in a very uh, challenging time in his life, a very trying time in his life, uh, give glory and honor and praise because it was a matter of the heart. And so would you pray with me? Father, again, we, uh, as your people, just want you to speak to us. And so we offer up our lives again uh, as, as books for you to write in, Lord, pages, blank pages, prayerfully that you can instruct us through the power of your word lord we give you this this time please heavenly father speak to us as your children we pray in jesus name amen verse 10 here in philippians chapter 1 and it's in the context of being confident of this very thing god's going to complete the work he's begun in you and that you're to abound in love and discernment and so it now transitions from that thought god's going to finish the work he wants to do something in us That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you might be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. You see, the Lord is looking to do something through our lives. He, He wants to use each of us, every one of you. He wants to use me. He wants to use us as a church. He's looking to prove what he's done in us. You are the chief way. You're the principal way. You're not the only way, but we are the principal way whereby the Lord makes known his power to this world. It's your transformed lives. It's our lives collectively as the church. When the Lord wants to point, what does Jesus look like? How does he act? What does he talk like? How would the Lord work in this world? He's really going to have us to point to. So it becomes a matter of our hearts being so in tune with his, being so much like him that he can see, look, if you want to see what Jesus is like, just go look at Pastor Kevin. Didn't mean to put that on you, Kev. 
you, you see, that's the way we need to understand this. Because we're living epistles. Amen? God has written on our hearts of stone. He's transformed, renewed us. He's made us into new creations in Christ Jesus. He actually wants to now use us. And so he says, moving on, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and to the praise of God. Let's face it, our righteousness isn't ours, amen? It comes from Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's his work in us. We've actually had that righteousness uh, now put into our lives by his righteousness being in us. It's to the glory, the praise of God. We can't take any credit for it. But he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And this is where your prison comes into view. Maybe, for some of you, that might have been literal prison. Maybe you're, here, maybe you're, on, maybe you're on probation today. You're supposed to be incarcerated and you're here in the congregation with God's people today. Maybe you literally are actually in prison. But can I ask you to broaden that a little bit? How many people are imprisoned by bitterness? How many people are chained to anger? How many people have a prison of financial difficulties? How many people are imprisoned maybe by their their job? Perhaps you're imprisoned by a a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Maybe you're imprisoned by a marriage that's not what God wants it to be. You see, every person in here will at some point in time, if not many times, you will have a personal prison. There'll be something in your life that God wants to use for his incredible purposes so that he might make manifest himself to the world. To someone very special. So that it's become evident to the whole palace guard. And I want you to understand this in Roman terms. You see, at that day and time, Paul had not yet been brought to trial. The charges against him were fairly substantial because at the time that he was charged, it was really sedition against the Jewish people, but he was kind of a troublemaker. He'd started a few riots. He'd gotten into some trouble, and so he's awaiting trial in Rome. And the way that was done, much like our probation system works today, perhaps if you're on probation, you're kind of out. You're not really in the midst of incarceration or legal system. Today, you might wear an electronic bracelet. Then you wore a chain attached to a prison guard. And that prison guard, every four hours or so, would be changed. And so Paul's looking at this constantly changing order of prison guards as an opportunity to preach Christ. They're all toast. They're chained to the Apostle Paul. So what are they going to do? Hey, did I tell you about Jesus? Yeah, I'm in prison, but I, I just want you to know, Jesus loves you, man. There, you, can, you can see the prison guards. Ah, man, don't talk to me about this, Jesus. You see, Paul was using it as an opportunity. Though he himself was in trouble, it was an opportunity for the gospel. Do you look at your prison experiences as an opportunity for the gospel because people are watching you? 
If you're married and you have children, your children are watching to see how you handle your prison experiences. If you're in the workplace and people know you're a Christian, those people in your workplace are watching you to see how you handle your prison experiences. How are you going to handle that announcement that you have cancer? You're now chained to chemotherapy. How are you going to handle those financial issues which are tough, they're difficult, they're hard, they're hurtful, they're painful? How are you going to handle that? You see, you're chained to it, but the question is, what will God do through it? And all the rest, my chains are in Christ. These are, these are Jesus' chains I'm wearing. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, check this out. He's actually saying, he is actually saying, the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning, me this morning, us this morning, that these chains, when other people see how you handle them, are giving other believers confidence. Why? Much more bold to speak would they be that word without fear. Indeed, some preach Christ, verse 15 says, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. You know, there's good reasons, there's bad reasons. We don't do things perfectly, but notice what it says. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add to my afflictions. You know, there are people that do have bad heart motivation. And yet somehow God still honors his word above his name. He, he can even use our less than perfect implementation in his plans for his glory maybe our heart isn't completely right but God can still be glorified even through it but the latter out of love knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel you see Paul's saying look I'm here because God put me here now most of us have a tough time saying those things when we're in a difficulty amen I do. It's like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those ones that would, would come to you and say, you know, well, just buck up. No, problems are problems, and they're sometimes very difficult. But it is a matter of your heart as to whether God's going to be able to use it or not. You see, if you have the right heart, God can use anything and everything, including your prison experiences. Knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether I'm not quite okay in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, or in the absolute truth, Christ is preached. You you see, our, our goal as the body of Christ is to be living epistles so people can look at our lives so that we're preaching Christ to them. You see, when people think of preaching, very often they isolate it to what I'm doing right now. Well, you know, I'm not a preacher. Maybe you haven't been given the gift of preaching. Maybe you haven't been given the gift of teaching. But let me tell you this. Every person in here, if you love Jesus, you know Jesus, you've been given a gospel life to live. And you are preaching Christ. You're preaching Christ by the way you handle every single aspect of your life. Everything. We, we call them, in education, we call them teachable moments, Right? It's a teachable moment. Your life to Jesus for everything you are, everything you do, every moment you live is a teachable moment. You have an opportunity to be used for God's kingdom in everything. 
It's crazy to think about, including your prison experiences. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will. I'm going to have joy in it. He's saying, look, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I'm chained to this prison guard. He gives us a few things that we can take home. Number one, look at the heart motivation. You see, our heart motivation should be to be pure and to be blameless. We, we should be able to say that in every way, in all things, what I thought, what I did, how I implemented it, all that I did in every circumstance, the goal is to be pure and to be blameless. He encouraged the Philippians to do that. He says, look, make sure that your motivation is correct. Your implementation is correct. Make sure. And here's why. He uses an interesting Greek word that's translated for us sincere, but elekrinus, when you look at that word in, in the original language, it means something a little bit different than we would think. It literally is two words. It's sunlight and judgment, and it means to bring things into the full light of day. Now, I can help you understand this a little bit. You see, when you, when you look at your house with the lights barely on dim in the morning, it looks perfectly clean, amen? But then when you open the blinds and turn on all the lights, and you can see all the dust bunnies. And you can see the stuff on the ceiling fan. Don't you hate that, the stuff on the top of the ceiling fan? It always ends up in my face. You see, when you examine something in the full light of day, you can tell whether it's pure and sincere. It'll become clear. The Lord wants your life to be able to be examined in the full light of Christ, the full light of day. Jesus Jesus said, I am the light, amen? Amen. We're supposed to be so much like him that when light shines on us, it's light shining on him. And so he says, be pure, be sincere, be blameless, so that whatever people see, they could just attribute it to God. And family, that that means that we need to keep our relationship with God fresh. We need to keep our relationship with him up-to-date, personal, if you will. It's why we need devotional life. That's why we need prayer time. It's why we need to come together as the body and study the word. That's why we need those things. That's how you stay pure. That's how you stay in the light. We're supposed to walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen? We should also keep our relationships with people where they're supposed to be. They should be pure. Our motivation should be blameless. You see, if you do that, you don't have anything to answer for. Amen? You know, one of the, one of the greatest things that we can pass on to our children is for them to be people of the truth. When you teach them to be people of the truth, they don't have to remember a thing. Amen? They can just speak with truth. Truth is always truth. It will always pass inspection. You won't have to, well, you know, I kind of don't remember the details. You see, we're to be pure and blameless. We're also to have the power of being fruity. You, you see, you want to be fruitful, amen? Now, I don't know if you guys go to IHOP, but if you go to IHOP, they have, they have that Rudy Tooty, fresh and fruity, those pancakes. They're actually, they're, they're, it's actually... There's some pancakes under there, but it's really a pile of fruit. And it's a picture of our lives in Christ. You want to have so much fruit 
that everything else, kind of the the pancakes become uh, an insignificant part of life. You want fruit out of your life. He wants fruitfulness. The apostle is reminding us, look, be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, you're not going to be able to minister to to that change situation if you can't minister when things are easy, amen? And if you're not abounding in fruit, it's going to be very difficult to do those things. And so the the Lord reminds us, look, we, we want to be fruitful in the things that the Lord's doing in our lives, the things that we are doing for him in this life. And of course, that fruit is righteousness, It's peace. It is that picture that we're given there in Galatians 5. Remember, it's love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all these wonderful things that are the mark that you're actually one of God's kids. You see, if you have those things and you're still in prison, you're chained, you've got something going on, then you have love and joy and peace to work with. If you're not filled with the fruits of the Spirit, if you're not overflowed with that work that God wants to do through righteousness, you don't have much to work with. You've got your flesh to work with. Anger, bitterness, hatred, envy. You you, you see the difference? You see, if you don't first have it, you can't give it. You have to have it to be able to give it. So he says, look, be fruitful. And what happens ultimately is then our our living and our loving become beyond reproach. It's just like you live exactly the way you love and you love the way you live and there's nothing in it that anyone can look at and go, well, that doesn't quite match up. You, You see, in that, then you're prepared for what comes next in this passage. You see, I'm sure Paul didn't pick, well, you know, really want to be chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. But he was able to use the fact that he was chained to that Roman soldier as an opportunity for the gospel because he was filled with the Spirit, because God was at work in his life, because he was concerned and had a right heart towards what the Lord was allowing in his life. He he was a trailblazer. That's tough work. You know, you think about the westward expansion in this country. If you look back to the time when, when those who landed at Ellis Island and settled on the east coast, you know, migrated out, eventually got about as far as Chicago, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's this giant expanse of the Great Plains that lays before uh, really anybody in the west coast where we currently live. I mean, there was a time when you packed up your family, put them inside of a, a Conestoga wagon. Basically, that's a tent with wheels, and said, honey, we're going to go. It was not easy. There were no freeways. There were no roads, no trains. There were no road maps. Nobody knew where anything was. No Walmart to resupply. You took off and you headed out because you had a heart of a pioneer. I don't know what's out there, but I'm going to go find out. That was Paul. He says, look. I'm going to use this as an opportunity. I want you to know, beloved, what has happened to me has actually helped spread the gospel. All of that inopportunity on the East Coast during the age of expansion was an opportunity to make it to the West Coast, to go across the Great Plains, to look at those amber waves of grain, amen? Nobody would have ever gone there if somebody hadn't have said, 
look, there's opportunity in the struggle. In your life, there's opportunity in the struggle. There's opportunity in the chains. There's opportunity in the prison. You just have to seize it. And you can't be afraid. You say, look, Lord, please use my life. The words translated here, help to spread, or, or the word furtherance is a singular word that's often used there. It just means to trailblaze. That's tough work at times, amen? You just have to bushwhack it. You've got to go. You know, imagine, and Connie and I have actually had this experience. I remember when we left for Austria. We bought one-way tickets. We had one-way tickets to the mission field. We weren't coming back. God, you keep us there as long as you want to go. It wasn't as long as we thought, but, you know, from our perspective, it's like, we're going, God. I have no idea what that looks like. We're just going. We're trusting you. So true. You realize that there were times, especially in, in the 1800s, the early 1800s, when this incredible revival is going on in Great Britain and then here in America. There were times that the early missionaries actually sold themselves into slavery for the opportunity to minister to people who were slaves. That's the type of absolute commitment that we need to have as the body of Christ. Look, Lord, you use me wherever I am. If I need to be in a situation that's not really my favorite kind of situation, then God, you do that in my life, please. For Paul, he ended up in a Roman prison. I want you to see something here because there's something that happens and it's so wonderful. Notice what it says in verse 14. And most of the brothers and sisters haven't been made confident, the NASB says, the New American Standard. It says, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. What happened in Paul's life emboldened other Christians. Can you say that the things that are difficult in your life today, the stuff that's happening, they're the prison things. They're the stuff that you wouldn't actually choose for yourself, but God's allowed in your life the difficulties of life. Can you say that being chained to that difficulty has emboldened other people to walk even closer to Jesus? That's what the word says. That what we do And how we respond to the things that we go through in life can directly be a way that the Lord shows exactly how good he is. Your life, my life. It dissolves fear. You see, when someone sees you go through something, and you go through that valley that is the shadow of death, and you come out the other side, and you say, you know what, it wasn't that bad. You're not going, oh man, I hope nobody ever has to go through that. He's saying, look, if I can do it, anybody can do it. The Lord was able. He got me through. And when people see that boldness in you, they become emboldened. I would illustrate this for you. In this way, during the Second World War, most of you are very familiar with June 6, 1944. It was a D-Day invasion, the beaches of Normandy, thousands of Allied ships off the coast. And as they were disembarking to, to attack the German 
uh, Maginot line at the top of the cliffs, heavily, heavily fortified, machine gun nests everywhere. The beaches were raked with machine gun fire. They would step out of those landing craft most of the time to be mowed down. You see, that wasn't a really good place to be as, as a regular soldier. General, Brigadier General Taylor, as he walked up and down uh, his, his office wing, realized that he couldn't do that to his men. And so rather than staying in England or rather than staying out on a ship, he loaded a landing craft. And some of the language he used to get the guys off the beach wasn't exactly repeatable here on Sunday morning. But he, he, he walked and ran up and down the beach said, look, if you don't get out of here, you're going to die here. Now, he could have been in the comforts of headquarters, but instead he got into the fight and he said, I will go with you. And in going with, he encouraged other people to move forward. In going with, he saved other people's lives. In going with, he said, look, I want to further the cause. Let's get off this beach. For us as the body of Christ, we need to get off the beach. Amen? And get in, let's go take some ground from the enemy. It's been way too long. The enemy keeps gaining traction. We, we need to come against that by being bold and let other people see our boldness and then be encouraged for them to be bold as well. You see, because ultimately all that we do uh, needs to have the right purpose. As we have the right purpose, it, it tests we, we want to do things out of goodwill, to be sure. It's going to test your heart. Look how you respond to your prison, to your chains, to the things that really are difficult in your life, have really two potential outcomes. One is to glorify the Lord and to encourage other people, and the kingdom moves forward. The other is to discourage people. What, God's not big enough for that? God's not, oh, he's able to do everything but... But that giant, that giant's too big. You see, there's a greater purpose in everything in your life than you can really even imagine. I can imagine. They're God's purposes and they're eternal. And so, yes, he does allow sometimes very difficult, painful, heartacheful things happen in the lives of believers. You may be chained today to something that's a prison for you. Maybe it is that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter. Perhaps it is something financial that you're going through. You're you're chained, man. Your ankle is locked up on some Roman guard. And you wonder why. Or rather than wondering why, wonder what? What is God at work doing? What does he want to accomplish? Through your chains, through my chains. Are you going to become depressed, discouraged, disillusioned? Are you going to fall into self-pity and despair? Or are you going to say, look, this is an opportunity. This is an area where God can use me. We all at times do have difficulty accepting where God has us. But he has us where he has us for a purpose. And that purpose will always be, from his perspective, good. 
It's not going to be out of envy. It's not going to be out of strife. It won't be out of selfish ambition. It's not going to be for rivalry's sake. You're you're not going to just do it so that you can say, well, you know, I was better than so-and-so. That's our human response. Our human response is, well, I handled this better than, you know, my friend. God wants us to handle it in a way that expands his kingdom, that causes people to know Jesus, to have knowledge of his great power and his wonderful love. And to that end, chains can be an amazing, wonderful experience. Prison can be one of those things that causes us to grow. Though I'm not asking you, I I would imagine, especially for those of us that have walked with the Lord for some time, we would tell you that the greatest areas of growth that have happened in our lives have all come from chain two experiences. I can't think of one in my own life where I haven't grown immeasurably. You want to grow in compassion towards people who are are suffering with physical ailment, or maybe they've lost a child, will have your own child in the hospital waiting for them to die. You'll, you'll gain compassion. All of a sudden, you get something from that chain to experience that you never had before. You want to know what it's like to go through financial pro- Go through some financial problems yourself. Be chained to that financial problem, and all of a sudden, the Lord delivers you. And people are watching. And all of a sudden, you come out of that situation. People are going, hey, Jeff can do it. God can do that for me too. Let's face it, we could all be in a lot more difficult circumstances, amen? Susanna Wesley, who was actually the mother of John and Charles Wesley, if you've ever seen a Wesleyan Methodist church that's the founders of the Methodist denomination. But John and Charles were two of, get this, 19 kids. Now, a little simple math, Susanna died when she was 57 years old. That means she pretty much was having babies every day. You know, it was like, you know, I don't know whether, where's number four? I, I don't know. But I know this, out of one family came two of the most godly, Christ-honoring lives that we've ever had recorded for us. And that was before the advent of the dishwasher. She, she did not have a refrigerator, no microwave, no minivan, no disposable diapers. You see, she may have thought that 19 kids could be a pretty heavy chain. But because of the way she lived her life, both John and Charles directly attributed the faith of their mother to the reason that God was using them. We need to look for opportunities for God to take our chains and use them for his glory. But we need to look for opportunity for the Lord to use us in in every circumstance in life because to have a right heart gives God the opportunity to use anything and everything. To have a wrong heart, you can have all kinds of wonderful opportunity and God won't be able to use it. But to have a right heart, God can use 
everything in your life. And he wants to do that. And so Paul ends this little passage, but what does it matter, the NIV says. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or truth, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Let the Lord use your life to preach Christ so that you can rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful encouragement, Lord. It's, we're going through chains. Are there are things in each of our lives that we would probably have done differently if you'd let us pick them. But Lord, we realize that uh, maybe we're chained to a Roman soldier that's called our finances, or perhaps we're chained to that prodigal son or daughter, or maybe we're chained and our, our marriage just isn't where it needs to be. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be advancing, Lord, as pioneers, that we'd see these opportunities as the world waits and watches and views how we handle the things that you allow into our lives. It's perhaps the greatest opportunity we have to preach Christ. And so, Lord, let us be fruitful. Let us be faithful. Bless us, Lord. We do ask that you would break the bondages in our lives, Lord, that you would set us free from that which holds us, that we might be all that you want us to be. Would we take advantage of every opportunity that you afford us? We ask these wonderful things in the name of Jesus who saved us. Amen.